Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The MLB wild card games ended in wild fashion. The best regular season game of our lifetimes was somewhat of a dud. And a college football coach turned pro football coach had a little bit too much fun during his spare time after his team went to own four on the season. But in talking about the wildness of the wild card, I'm, of course, referring to the National League side of things because once we hit on the American League side, my New York Yankees, there wasn't as much excitement nearly as there was with your St. Louis Cardinals. So nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. I know people are going to be clamoring to get our thoughts on that. But as baseball guys especially after what happened to our baseball teams, we got to start there. And unfortunately, I got to tee one up for you on the St. Louis Cardinals, whose hearts were broken in the bottom of the ninth, courtesy of number nine hitter Chris Taylor's walk-off home run that somehow won me the Dodgers' run line bet, by the way. One and a half. Thought it was over, buried, done. They're not bringing out the ghost runner in the 10th. There's no chance that's going to hit. And by some miracle of miracles, it does. Was it life-changing? Absolutely not. That's a moment that it should be. Shame on me for not putting the mortgage on it to make it even more exciting. But I digress. It's a winner no matter how you look at it. Heartbreaking for the Cardinals. Our fans and friends, a gut-wrencher, a heartbreaker, uh, a knockout punch. That's what the wild card is. That's what it was for the Yankees, who were behind the whole way, had one shot at getting back in it, and that was really uh, taken away from them by a moronic decision by your third base coach. And you go quietly to the Red Sox. Your mega-million-dollar pitcher did not have it. His stuff was never up to what we're used to seeing, didn't have that extra yard on his fastball, so to speak. Squared up early. Red Sox never had it. And uh, now all the questions begin for the New York Yankees. Who's back? Who's not? GM, manager, free agents. You know, reconstruct the team. Too much right-handed bats. Not enough speed, et cetera, et cetera. Not enough contact. We'll see what happens. And then you have the National League team of record. The Red Hot Redbirds, 17 straight, did a tremendous job finding their way into the wild card and basically running and hiding with the wild card because everybody else fell on their faces. We talked about last week to have to take on the mighty Dodgers. They go to Adam Wainwright, 40 years old, had a great season, did what I suggested. His agent must've walked in the office and said million dollars a year. And that's basically what he got. I believe his last, his new one year deal is 17 and a half million. And he takes on Mad Max and he outpicks Mad Max. Cardinals get to Max early. Get him deep in accounts, runners on base every inning, and lo and behold, despite all that, and an excellent job from Wainwright. It's one-one as we go to the late innings. Cardinals didn't hit the ball hard; they really only hit maybe three or four balls hard all night, and only a couple of them were base hits. Squared up, maybe one hard out by Yadier Molina. Couple line drive base hits. Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond, couple blue base hits, infield hit. No hard outs except for Yachty's. No deep drives. A lot of deep counts. A lot of good at bats that ended, unfortunately, 
yes, and some walks, yes, and some batsmen, but no big hits. Most of those big at bats down the stretch ended in strikeouts or pop ups. And unfortunately, Tyler O'Neill went back to the Tyler O'Neill he was earlier in his career with three strikeouts. And Nolan Arenado continued his very short but unsuccessful postseason career with an 0 for 4. And you go to the bottom of the ninth, bullpen's control. Cardinal closer goes back out there after a successful eighth. Uh, only to have a fingernail bring him back to the dugout, but he was only sent out there to begin with to have Dave Roberts burn Gavin Lux as a pinch hitter. Mike Schilt gets that done, then goes to his lefty because Gallegos can't go. Albert Pools comes out, 3-0 pitch, line shot close to the center field wall. I can breathe. Stevens, don't call me uh, sousaphone. Drive line shot to center. I can breathe again. Looking good. Feeling good. About getting to the tenth. I know Urias is rough, but he's coming on, and I'll finally get to see a left-hander with all my right-handed bats. I got more to go in the bullpen. I'm like, uh, all right, all right. We're alive. McFarland somehow, some way finds a way to walk Cody Bellinger. The former MVP, 165 hitting, Cody Bellinger. Got him two and two. Dying to go inside and get in his kitchen. Instead of going away with hard stuff or breaking stuff. Misses twice. Oh, those bases on balls, said Frankie Frisch. Steal second. And then the nightmare. Watching the game with my son. Texting away. The last guy I want to see come out of the bullpen. Not because I don't love him, but because the season is on the line. There is nowhere to go but home or San Francisco. And the All-Star, who has had so many injury issues that he's finally overcome, set the all-time record for most consecutive saves to start a career over an extended period of time. And then couldn't get anybody out in a big spot post-All-Star break. Two walk-offs. 10 out of 14 inherited runners scored against. Not good when you bring him into the middle of an inning. You had other options. Mike Schilt makes a move that I didn't like at the time. Texted my buddies. I was watching the game with Here Comes a Trainwreck. Door opens. Alex Reyes comes running in. To face Chris Taylor, all-star, Swiss Army knife, had a great all but the last eight weeks of the season when he went eight for 72 or something like that, where he just could not get a hit. They bring Taylor into pinch hit, and the nine hole, waves at a breaking ball low and away, falls by two and one, and then did what he has done the second half of the season through the famed absolute hanging slider right in the middle of the play. Game over. Line shot, left field bleachers. Cardinals go home. Dodgers go to San Francisco, 107 to 106. The two highest win totals ever facing off in the postseason. And even though my team was some 15 games behind the Dodgers and you don't expect to beat them, in a one-game playoff, a crapshoot, a sudden death, we know from the NCAA tournament anything can happen. And in a baseball game, certainly anything can happen when pitching is so vital. And it was the kind of game, no disrespect, unlike the Yankee-Red Sox game, where literally every pitch you hung on. Yes, it was over four hours. And what was at one point a 1-1 game and then a 3-1 final. But it's really when you have a rooting interest in that kind of game, you have to take time and find space to breathe. Because every run is precious. Every out is gold. And the Cardinals played great defense. They ran the bases. They got Scherzer out 
I thought they got to the underbelly of the Dodgers, which was their bullpen, and their bullpen was lights out from beginning to end, in big spots, in small spots, in all spots. Uh, Dodgers were better. They deserved to win. But, again, I love my manager. I love how hard my team plays for their manager. They love their manager. But last night, with all due respect to Mike Schilt, you cannot, under those circumstances, with your season on the line, give the ball to Alex Reyes in the midst of an inning when he has struggled the way he has struggled when you have other options. Were those other options unbelievable? No, but they were okay. They were okay. Uh, They had a couple guys in that bullpen, both right and left, who they could have brought in. Certainly, uh, Cody Whitley has been very good. Could have come in and faced Taylor. Uh, They hadn't warmed up Flaherty or Hudson, so they were not an option. But I would have gone to Whitley. Uh, I would have gone to... You know, one of the lefties. I would have gone to Cabrera. Uh, I just would not have gone to, to to Reyes because Alex Reyes' struggles have been massive, and it, there's no place to go here. Like I said, but to home, but home or, or San Francisco, and you just you can't do it. The numbers, as much as I'm not an analytical guy, ten out of fourteen inherited runners. When he comes out of the pen, it's got to be the starting inning, not the middle of an inning. And uh, feel bad for him, but you know Dodger depth, both out of the pen and off the bench, uh, and the Cardinals' failure to get a hit in a big spot, 0 for 11, 11 with runners in scoring position, uh, sealed their fate. So it's uh, the series everybody's been waiting for, Dodgers Giants, and uh, my squad goes home. It's a bitter disappointment to what was a great run because I thought they had more in them, but you know. You can't win if you don't score. And one run is just not going to get the job done. It was thrilling, as you mentioned. Every pitch, you're on the edge of your seat, regardless if you have a, a specific rooting interest like you do. I'm just watching it as a baseball fan, and it's thrilling baseball. And it got to the point where, despite it being the National League, you almost got the sense that you were waiting for that big hit to decide the game. Who is going to hit a home run and win the game? Or get a huge double, and then maybe you could work around that. And that's what ends up happening. Shocking it wasn't Pujols, I'll be honest. The storybook was written for him to send one out, and he got a hold of it. 3-0 pitch, green light, knuckleball in the center, not enough. And then Chris Taylor goes into the history books as one of the five ever to hit a walk-off. So proud of my club. Uh, Fought like terriers. But, you know, what showed up last night is that one of the big differences between the Dodgers and certainly my team and the, the weaknesses of the Cardinals and the strengths of the Dodgers. The Dodgers have so much depth. The players they run off the bench, Chris Taylor being a – Chris Taylor was an all-star this year. You know, the Cardinals just don't have a bench, anything remotely resembling like that. Uh, you know, the Cardinals' best option off the bench offensively is, is a rookie by the name of Lars Nutbar. And that's no joke. I mean, they're bringing Albert Pujols off the bench. And Chris Taylor was an all-star. The only reason Bellinger is even playing, the former MVP at 165, is because Max Muncy's hurt. So, and their their bullpen last night was fabulous, to their credit. You know, I considered it the weak spot. I wanted to get Scherzer out early. They did. But Dave Roberts... He pushed all the right buttons. Everybody he brought out, the order he brought him out in, worked out perfectly for them. Big at bats, guys in scoring position. Sometimes they started the fire, but they always put it out to their credit. And the Cardinals bullpen did a very good job, also. And then you know, came, you know, the wrong button pushed, and. Uh, you know, your former closer hits the ejection seat and your season's over. Just like that. It would have been interesting to see the backlash, if any. I mean, if the game had ended this way and the Cardinals had been the team right. that walked them off, I don't think it would have mattered. But had it been a Cardinals blowout or a win handedly, 
against the 106-win Dodgers. Oh, I don't think it would have mattered. If the, just if the Cardinals had won, there would have been you know, there would have been people talking about it being a great game, but there would have been people going plastic, whether it was 10 to 1 or 2 to 1. So my question to you is, what do you think is going to happen next year with, you know, before we move on, because of this one and done scenario and the risk it put the, the Dodgers to, and the fact that we have the Dodgers and Giants playing in the second round. Give me your hopes, desires, and your reality for next year. In may, assuming, presuming, there will be a season a full season of Major League Baseball under a new collective bargaining agreement. Give me the Big John Tiny Lund's postseason wish list and reality check. I'm just surprised after what they did last season because of the circumstances of the world, that didn't make them see the extra revenue because of the extra games and the extra teams and say, this is the way. Because they're always trying to get more money, especially now. This past year, every sports league is trying to get that coronavirus money back. Every team's trying to get that money back, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. So for them to go back to this format and then keep some of the other stuff, the Ghost Runner, the seventh inning games, maybe they'll expand again. But for a one-game playoff, and I've said this since it started, I think it's preposterous to decide a 162-game season by one game. And I understand the old report folks saying, hey, you're lucky you even have the damn game. When we played, you had to win the division. That was it. It wasn't any wild card. It wasn't any second place. Win and get in. That's it. Like the NCAA tournament. Win your league. You get into the tournament. None of this consolation shit, you bums. So I get that. But now that it is what it is, one game is tough. Now it's thrilling. It's exciting. You have that going for you. But fairness-wise, even though every postseason basically isn't fair and no playoffs are perfect for deciding truly who the best team is year in and year out, I would rather it be a three-game series. I'd rather each team have an opportunity to play at home, and I'd have it decided that way. I know that's not great for travel and the scheduling, and are you going to play three games in three days, et cetera? How are you going to do the bullpens and the rotations? I get it. But I'd like to see three games because the second game is going to be thrilling no matter what because one team's going to be up one nothing, So it's an elimination game in that regard, and then you might even get two of them if it goes to a third game. That's really all I'd like to see. I know that a lot of people talked about reseeding also being a thing and not having a situation where the two best teams in the National League are already playing each other in a five-game series at that. So I wouldn't be opposed to reseeding either, but I'd love to see the one game go to three. I, I think it's, it's more fair to decide the longest sports season, doubling the second closest in the NBA. Let's play three, Ernie. Let's play three instead of just two. I wouldn't mind I believe seeing it I have like the, that. I believe I have the perfect mix because, you know, I believe the old report knows everything. And this is sprinkled in with some new wave expansion. Um, and I think it increases the playoffs. It increases the treasure trove. And I think it would make it incredibly exciting. Until we expand to 32 teams, which eventually they will do, and I believe that the NFL model will go right to Major League Baseball, I believe you're going to have uh, two leagues with four four-team divisions. Uh, but for now, with 30 teams, uh, what I would do is I would expand to six teams in each league. Three division winners, three wild cards. Now we go to the NFL page book. The top two division winners get buys. 
Best record number one, best record number two. That keeps everybody working, keeps everybody fighting throughout the season to try and get for those division winners to try and get one of those two best records. And then your three wild cards match up with the one division winner who is the top seed because they win the division. So they got to get the home field. Three against six, four against five, two out of three series. And then obviously the winners go on to play the top two seeds in best of five, et cetera, et cetera, so on down the line. I think it, it expands the playoffs, so it increases the cash flow. It adds a team in each league, a team in each league. It increases the number of games. It increases the number of teams that will be in it down the stretch, going for that extra playoff spot. And as I said, by you having the the buys, it keeps the third division winner on the outside looking in from giving up the season or the team in the two hole from Cadillac home because they want to keep the third team out of the home field and out of the buy situation. So I think, you know, it, it's kind of the best of both, both worlds. It works for everybody because the idea is to maximize, of course, revenue. It does that increase the number of games. It does that increase competitiveness during the regular season. It does that give more teams a chance. It does that promote interest in more cities. It does for the, greater time in the season, it does that. So I, I don't know how it's not a win, 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 win all the way around. I'd love to see it. And I don't think the conversation will be as strong as it would have been had the Dodgers lost, but I still think it's a conversation that needs to be had, and I don't know why you'd not want more money in your pockets, MLB. It's what your goal seems to be with everything. Couple more teams in the mix, couple more exciting games. There you have it. There you have it. So we'll see if they decide on anything now or in the near future. Because you run the risk of this happening again. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. For our fans, just give them a quick update. As we are doing this program uh, in the American League Division Series, Houston has gone up on Chicago with a kind of a hand ride home win today uh, in the battle of uh, the Lances. Lance McCullers Jr. over Lance Lynn. Uh, that's a 6-1 final. And at last look, Tampa was up on uh, the Bosox for nothing uh, in game one of the other American League Division Series. Well, the how did Division Boston series. get there, Al? What happened? Open tomorrow. How did Boston well, Boston got there? there by taking control early against the Yankees and really never looking back. And their starting pitcher having his best stuff and yours not having his. Um. And with one opportunity, uh, your third base coach vanquished a rally by getting Judge thrown out at the plate in what was, I believe, a moronic decision with a play in front of him. I thought that was a terrible decision to send by Phil Niven to send Judge home. And I don't think it's because he knew Joey Gallo, Gallo was up next. And yes, it took two good relays, but it didn't take rocket-like relays, and he had it right in front of him. And it's second, third, and one out. You know, if you don't make that move. And the entire Yankee night was basically, you know, Stan. Who's that? Three for four. Uh, a single that should have been a double in the first inning. And I'm not going to knock him because you know, everybody in the building thought it was out, including John Sterling, who was in the building. Any ever a Stantonian blast and a bear, yet another embarrassing night for John uh, for John Sterling, who needs to join Mike Shannon, 
who is now retired after far too many years at the mic for the Cardinals. Uh, and it's time for John to say, <laughs> I'm going away. <laughs> I'm going away. All right. Um, because that was in a total and complete embarrassment. However, Stanton, you know, really, the other thing that that game did, I mean, that decision by Phil Nevin did, is it took Core off the griddle because Evaldi was throwing fabulous. And then he gives up the solo shot to Rizzo. And then an infield hit. He's still fine. He's throwing great. But Stan's coming up, who got him the first time up. He brings in the reliever, who Stanton hits another monster shot, but you know the wall's too high. And he bails out Cora. Because so I thought they were nuts for taking Avaldi up, especially with you know the Red Sox bullpen being their clearly one of their weakest elements of their team. And lo and behold, the guy brings in gives up a rocket to stand. But Judge gets thrown out, and Gallo pops up for the last out of the inning, and then you know Stan hits home run in the ninth inning. Stan did everything, single, double, homer. And what else you want from the guy? And he's crushing the ball. He's been crushing the ball all year. And that was it. That was the that was the Yankee offense. John Carlos Stanton. You know, Brett Gardner hitting in the set. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm telling everybody who will listen. I'm telling you last week, telling anybody and everybody, just throw Brett Gardner fastballs. Fastballs top of the zone. He can't hit them. He can't catch up anymore. The bat's not quick enough. He's been a wonderful Yankee. It's a nice career, and it's time to go. He's batting sixth. Sixth in that lineup. No wonder they're not scoring. And for God's sakes, you know, I, I don't you're the you're the new report with the analytics and the ten. Well, you're the analytics. Joey Gallo, it's 199. And he struck out 213 times. How do you have him hitting by how do you have him hitting behind Stanton? And judge. How do you how is that protection for you gotta put don't lead Rizzo off? Put Rizzo behind Stanton. Not in front of him, behind him. Joey Gallo is everybody rips Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez all night long hit it on the head. All night long, he was saying Joey Gallo was their landing spot. And he was absolutely right. Because Joey Gallo did nothing, came up with men on base, hit a couple of balls in the outfield. But it's what Joey, I mean, he's a 199 hitter with 213 strikeouts. He is Mr. True Outcome. Walk. Strikeout home run. You don't want a guy hitting behind Stanton with 213 strikeouts hitting 199. That's not protection. The fact that he happens to run into a few balls, good for him. But that doesn't protect him. They want to pitch to him. So don't understand how he is the guy behind Stanton. I understand it was a short lineup. But that's part of the problems with the Yankees. You can't put Gary Sanchez there because he's not even right anymore. Struck out in his one appearance. You put the hot shot in infield there, infielder there because he's been terrible. Although he finally looks like, you know, he's found his own back at second. And that's the only place you can play him. And then the rest of the lineup, you know, Rochelle, a nice little player. You know, the rookie shortstop, a catcher who can't hit, and Gardner's in the six hole. You know, yeah, no LeMahieu hurts them. But you know, that, that lineup is not a well-constructed lineup. And it showed. And they got a lot of work to do in the offseason. So is Rizzo on their list? We'll see. You need an outfielder? He's, or, or is Hicks going to come back and play his usual 27 games before he gets hurt? Has anybody seen hiding the rear of the Red Rooster? The Yankee version. Do we have any idea where where, where where the ginger man is? Has anybody seen him? Is he concussed again? Where is he? We haven't seen Frazier in forever. 
know, is Cliff Fraser in witness protection? Somebody help me there. He's always hurt. Gardner's done. Hicks is coming off surgery. You need a legitimate full-time outfielder to put in center field. Are you going to keep Gallo or Traders? One year left on his contract is $6 million. Reasonable, reasonable amount. You got your two big guns, obviously. Are you going to move your second baseman already and give up on him? Or are you going to hope he recovers and bounces back with a full season in second base and just leave alone? LeMayu's under contract. Where do you want to put him? Can't put him in second base. You got the kid there. Got a shell in third. Want to put him in first and let everybody go? What are you doing, Luke Voigt? The reason is the guys you try and keep. A lot of questions. You know, nothing you're saying is giving me a lot of optimism or hope as you're going through well, this. Well, look, there's, a, there's it, it, and, and let's remember, Toronto's getting better. Very young. Got some good sturdy pitching. And Tampa's... It, it's it's not a pretty picture right now for the Yankees. <sighs> I've said this it all. all year, mostly, because the highlights of the season made it about seven-eighths shitty, but there was that 13-game win streak, the seven-game win streak in there, too. So it wasn't all awful, but for the most part of the season, the headline is, the Yankees stink in all aspects. You build this lineup, this vaunted Yankees lineup that's going to carry them offensively and go into the bullpen and have a grand old time picking up win after win. You put a lineup together that's all right-handed hitters mostly in one of the best lefty-hitting ballparks in MLB history. You're starting out on the best of feet when that's the case. You bring in Rizzo, you bring in Gallo. Gardner has to play because Hicks gets hurt and the whole outfield is in shambles, so he hits left-handed too. Everything that they've done since the baby bombers of 2017 when Yankees fans were given hope of, look at this young squad, similar to the last time they had success with a young group of players, the core four years in the late 90s, early 2000s that obviously panned out in the greatest of ways. Judge, Torres, Sanchez, here we go. This young, scrappy group wasn't expected to even get to the postseason. They get the Astros on the ropes within a game and making the World Series. Here we come. And what's happened since? The common thread Aaron Boone now, and Brian Cashman. And I don't think they're going anywhere, Al. We know now that the way that baseball clubs love to manage and work their teams isn't by what the manager says and does. He's not the end-all, be-all anymore. It's the GM that runs the team, and it's his gaggle of nerds and analytical guys that surround him that run the franchise, too. The owner oversees that, nods his head, checks to make sure he's still making money, and we're all happy and gleeful. So you got Brian Cashman where I don't know if he has something against the Steinbrenner family that they're afraid is going to come out. What he's done to hold them hostage like he has for the past two-plus decades. He was a great GM, a damn good GM, one of the best GMs in baseball. Was, though. You still have the same payroll, and it's doubled, basically, since you first took over the team. And what have you done with it? But Steinbrenner's happy with Cashman, and Cashman's certainly happy with Aaron Boone because Aaron Boone does whatever the hell he wants him to do. Who do you think decided to put Joey Gallo batting fourth in a wild card game when he can't hit himself out of a paper bag? Was it Aaron Boone, or was it the people upstairs with their numbers? Who thinks it's a good idea to pinch hit Gary Sanchez, who hasn't taken a pitch since August? 
He gets up there and just swings at whatever the fuck you throw him. You want to throw him a fastball down the middle? Follow it off. Throw it in the other batter's box? Let's make it easy. There's two strikes. Then he's down on three. Let's put in Rugnet Odor to pinch it in the wild card game. The dude hasn't had a hit since September 1st. The highlight of his season? Buying a turtle. Putting it in the dugout. Having them look at it. Bronxy the turtle, Al. That's the highlight of this man's season because he doesn't take a fucking pitch. So they put him in for Velasquez, who was the one of the people that actually contributed to that 13-game winning streak because he was hungry and he's fast and he'll put the ball on the ground and actually get on base for you. Let's get him out of the game as quick as we can for Rugnet Odor. Stinky. Joey Gallo batting fourth. Your star catcher, in quotation marks, Two years in a row, he's been riding the fucking bench in elimination games because he's too bad to play. He's your star catcher, and you can't play him in the most important games of the season. Garrett Cole's hamstring could be torn off his bone for all we care, but that doesn't make a difference because he's the guy you paid all the money to to win you those games, and he's going to get ripped the rest of the season for it, no matter what the case is. A flush. And who else do you have? The two pitchers that you hoped were going to be in the rotation behind him had to go into the bullpen for this past season because they've been hurt. So you got Garrett Cole and question mark. You've got Judge, who's going to want to get paid next year, deservedly so. You've got Stanton, who flipped every hater in the world off toward the end of this season because he proved he belongs. And who else? Who else on the Yankees? Besides those two, maybe LeMahieu, once he gets everything on his body healed that's been hurt this season, who else do you want back? Who else Rizzo. will break your heart to not get back? Rizzo I would love to have back, but that's a, that's a question mark. We don't know if he's going to want to come back or what he'll want to come back. But of the guys that you've had, who are you going to miss? None of them. That's where the Yankees are at. And for whatever reason, they're afraid to break these thing up. What exactly are you waiting for? Aaron Boone, after the game, had the money quote about how the gap is closing in on the Yankees, Al. The teams in the AL East are starting to close the gap. The Red Sox, the Jays, the other divisions. There's good teams in the Central. There's good teams in the West. Are you fucking kidding me? They're starting to close the gap? Dude, you're like the fifth or sixth best team in the AL. There's no gap. The gap is gone. It's not 15 years ago. The gap's been closed since you've taken over the managerial job. Get some sense, man. Read the room around you. And people are obviously going to say, and understandably so, oh, woe is the Yankees fan. You made the postseason the last five years. I don't really count winning the wild card playing game, getting to the postseason, win or lose, but you get where I'm coming from. You make the postseason all the time. You win 90 games. Poor you. Well, it's getting to that point now where we're a lot farther away from success than we are to where failure is headed. I know it's only been 11 years. Big whoop been franchises haven't even sniffed the damn World Series their entire existence. I understand all that, and Yankees fans sound like assholes when we're complaining about a team that got into the wild card and every year has an opportunity to at least make the postseason. But sorry to say, it's built different with the Yankees because they're the second highest payroll, because they're expected to get to the postseason and be successful in it. At least every couple of years, every five, nay, every ten. I don't know where things are headed, but it hasn't been headed in the right direction. Going from optimism of 2017 to where this team is now, it's an extreme failure top down. Players got to produce, no question about it. There were some terrible seasons from guys that you were expecting to do something. Aaron Boone, when he's not going by his analytical nerds and the GMs and the computer guys having to push buttons and make the right decisions in the bullpen and in the lineup, you don't trust that. 
Brian Cashman signing the perfect pieces every time? You don't trust that. Because that gap is gone. Everybody that used to look up to the Yankees, a quarter of them are right at eye level, and some of them are even higher up. And I don't know what you're waiting around for. What's the risk of blowing all this up and starting over? Because you're wasting Aaron Judge. You're wasting Stanton. You're going to waste Cole because these are the years he's supposed to be at his peak. It's only going to get worse. Same for Stanton. Same for Judge. If you bring back Torres, same for him. Nobody's getting younger. You got these dudes. Oh, we got the best shortstop prospect in the game, number one. He ain't ready to play for a couple more years. Jason Dominguez, switch hitter, best player they've ever seen. He's 17 years old. He ain't coming to save the day yet. You got to start doing shit, man. Time's getting short, and I don't know what you're waiting for. That's where we're at. It was a disappointing season from the start. It's not like you lose a game. You lose to Boston, and that sucks, obviously. That's your rival. You want to beat them. But did any Yankees fan really think they were going to beat the Rays, especially in a five-game series? Not a chance. Not a chance. So now, what, are you just going to be happy that you made the postseason? What the hell difference does that make? You're better off just staying home, not playing in that game, putting the, the Jays there, having some excitement for us watching the game. Vladdy Jr., get him to 50. It's just incredibly disappointing, and that's becoming the norm of late. You could see this season coming and the end result a mile away. And I don't think they're going to do anything to fix it. My guess will be Boone is going to come back for at least one more season. Cashman's under contract for one more season. So maybe they'll give them each one more to make it two, or maybe this will be the last one this time, and they'll be kind of lame ducks in a sense. And if nothing happens after this season, then they'll officially be done because they won't have to fire Cashman. His contract will be up. They wouldn't have to fire Boone. His contract would just be up, and they could just say, oh, we couldn't come to a conclusion. No, don't use the word firing. We know sometimes we don't like doing that in sports. We just couldn't come to a resolution. We wish them the best. And then God help us where they'll be then. There's baseball for 2021, folks. The new report and old report part of it. And unfortunately... For both the new report and the old report, it's over. Just like that. You kill yourself watching these games all season long. Double headers, night games, going into day games, staying up late, getting your heart broken, the agony of defeat, the thrill of victory, and it comes down to one game after all that, and you wouldn't have it any other way. Beautiful game, this baseball. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Now, since we're a little still riled up, just everybody pause for the NFL. Nothing too exciting happened. Brady won, all right? He won. Why'd they kick it? Oh, goodness, Bill Belichick. We have to talk Urban Meyer. Because, <laughs> listen, Urban Meyer, I'm not stepping out on a limb here, is one of the greatest college football coaches that will ever coach college football. One of the gaudiest, maybe the gaudiest record in recent history. Crazy. The turnaround he's able to do when he goes to a team. Absolutely crazy. You know, Utah, Florida, Ohio State. God, it's records. like you turn on a video game and decide, I'm going to play with this team in this season, and you rattle off 11-12 wins, no problem. He's doing that in real life. Goes to Fox, does the analyst thing, stepped away from the game, be closer to his family, his health, et cetera, et cetera. We get it. We always thought maybe he's going to come back to something, and he decides he wants to coach Trevor Lawrence with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Brings in his guys. Here we go. And after an 0-4 start, as bad as that is, just the product on the field, 
reports come out, pictures come out, videos come out of him after losing in week four in Ohio at his bar slash restaurant, getting grinded up against by a young woman, having pictures taken with young women, looking a little out of it, looking a little drunk. So this becomes the story. It's bad enough that the Jaguars are 0-4, but now that narrative completely shifts over to the head coach. Why didn't he travel with the team? What was he doing in that situation? Where is his family? Questions upon questions, and then he has to give answers upon answers, looking like a young child who was just found to do something wrong, and he's getting scolded by his parents, and he's looking at his feet, shuffling his feet, moving around trying to avoid the questions, giving a little bit of an apology. What I can't get over is two things. It's amazing in some ways that he is not accepted in the locker room in general. He hasn't controlled the locker room in Jacksonville at all, and especially not now. Like Pat McAfee mentioned on his show, when he got a DUI and he had to go address the team. As soon as he came in, they started ragging on him. Look at you, Pat, you know, busting his balls. Urban Meyer goes to address the team, and he has the locker room. First thing they're going to do is like, we see you, coach. <laughs> you get it, man. Yeah. Saw you with those girls. You sly, coach. Not, look at this fucking asshole. This scumbag. And that's what the locker room thinks of him. Secondly, how do the people around Urban Meyer allow this to happen? From his people, I'm sure he has a security team or close friends, or as Chris Carter would like to say, fall guys, to the people working at his restaurant slash bar. Urban Meyer comes in. He wasn't playing in Ohio. He's there specifically for a reason. You roll out the red carpet, and you also make sure nobody's bothering him. Bring him into the back room. Where's the security guard or the bartender to be like, Miss, get the hell away from him. Come over this way. That's Urban Meyer. Hey, everybody in here, give me your cell phones. I'm putting them in this wicker basket so nobody takes pictures Urban Meyer's here. Coach, come back here if you want to have a couple drinks so nobody sees you in the state you're in, and you let us know if you want anybody to come back with you. For him to just go into his own restaurant like he's just Tom, Dick, and Harry from down the street having a grand old time is so mind-boggling. I still can't believe that happened. Because this certainly isn't the first time this has happened, Al. This ain't his first rodeo. But why now is his guard so far down at the highest level of football that we're seeing this happen? What the hell are you doing with yourself, man? And people think, well, he must just be doing this because he wants to get out of there and go coach USC. This isn't the way he's going to do it, though. You think USC is going to want to roll the red carpet off for him when this shit's hanging over his head? I can't believe... All the steps that have happened up till now have been the case. And then the owner of the Jaguars has to say he has to earn back his trust with us. Jesus. I don't think this could have gone worse. I'm lost. I don't get it. Your interviews with Urban Meyer all throughout his career that we've been exposed to him in Utah and Florida and Ohio State. And he's had some stumbles. He's had some issues. But... He always seems to have this sincere approach, humble approach, apologetic approach of being a good man, of being a God-fearing man, of being a family man, of being a man who's concerned about being there for his family because he's had his health issues. But yet, we have this. We have, in his own, not taking the flight home with his team. I can live with that. Stop off the family, Ohio. 
but let me go to my own restaurant bar, my own place, and do a little bumping and grind. I just, I'm lost. You thought nobody was going to see? You thought nobody was going to know? In an establishment that is not some little high, your own, where people come with the hope of maybe seeing you? Oh, they saw you, right? Harry's the guy. Everybody, check out, check out the poll. Want to go get a picture? No, you know what? Let's go dance on his lap for this song, too. Then take my picture. Just, I mean, it's... It's simply inexplicable for an adult in this position who has had some stumbles, who he knows is a smart guy, how is it conceivable that he's this imbecile to do something like this? It simply makes zero sense. As your father used to say to you when you were a kid, what are you thinking? Now, are we to believe that coaches have never done this, players don't do it, et cetera? You don't see it. It happens behind closed doors, whatever they want to do in their spare time. I mean, how many players in professional sports are going to strip clubs after every game? Before the game. But for whatever reason with Urban Meyer, people just don't like this dude. And it's not because of the Zach Smith situation when he brought him I over think, from Ohio I State. Think they think he's, I think they think he's a phony. Yeah. I think people have always thought, you know, that Urban Meyer was, we see what he makes himself out to be, and I don't think anybody believes him to be that. I think people consider Urban Meyer a hypocrite and a phony. And, and they don't and they and they don't trust him. Along with that, who was his best college quarterback? Tim Tebow. Who was he doing many of these leadership type talks and quotes? The ultimate leader speakings right the ultimate team guy. Tim Tebow. Look what I've built at this program as Aaron Hernandez plays tight end. Look what I've built at the quarterback position. Let me bring that to Ohio State. After we win the national championship, let me write a book. Above the line, lessons in leadership and life from a championship season in 2015. All about leadership. How many of those Florida guys did jail time? I think it was in the 20s, wasn't it? Culture. Or or, or, or were convicted of crimes. If, if, they, if they all didn't jail time, I think it was in excess of 20. Accountability. Get the audio book, folks. It'll change your life. You talk the talk, but the walk is not walked. It's a total sham. There was a report out that I think of the Power 5 schools that were reached out, and they do these little surveys, oh, would you take Urban Meyer as your coach? Only 15% said, like, maybe which I still think is a little preposterous of a number. Like, if you're going to get Urban Meyer as your coach, you're getting 10, 11, 12 wins, Al. We just mentioned it in a heartbeat. Just make sure you have the right people around him so he doesn't do this stupid shit on camera. Where's Chris Carter? Where's the fall guy? Now, I'm obviously not saying don't shove your fucking hand up the girl's jeans like we saw in another camera angle view. What are you doing, you sick fuck? But if the crime, quote-unquote, stopped at just going home and not traveling with the team to go to your restaurant and have a couple drinks, you're not the worst person in the world. But then once you start even giving this, these women a little bit of your time and your energy, what are you doing? And then you have a press conference, and you don't even apologize to your own wife or your kids. Until somebody in the press asks, hey, uh, what'd you say to your wife and kids and family about this? Oh, oh right, right, yeah, I said I'm sorry. Jeez. Anyway, that was the story of the NFL this week. We thought it might be the Brady-Belichick Bowl. And I don't know about you, but it didn't really do much for me. 
look, it was much to be made about nothing. Uh, Brady played okay. His receivers weren't great. Missed some throws. A lot of drop balls. Tampa was mediocre. New England had a chance to win the game. And their their coach decided to try a 56-yard field goal in the pouring rain versus going for a fourth and three. And even if they made the field goal, they were going to be able to go back to Tampa and Brady. So, and the kid looked pretty good. He completed a bunch of passes in a row. A lot of dinks and dunks, not throwing it down the field much. But, you know, he, he is a rookie in the National Football League. And he's certainly playing more and better than any other rookie quarterbacks. So let's give him credit for that. He doesn't have, you know, a star-studded receiver group. He doesn't have a great offensive line. Uh, he doesn't have a Pro Bowl running back. Lost James White for the season. The fame security blanket. And they're one and three. And their only win is against a Miami team that's one and three. A stumbling Miami team. A struggling Miami team. New England spent a lot of money. They made a lot of improvements, but they're struggling. They're struggling to score. They're struggling to make explosive plays. And I don't see a big change in the offensive style. I don't see some of the things that are throwing the ball over the field and throwing it deep. I don't think you see the principles of verticality step into the New England offense. Uh, but that was a game that was eminently winnable for them. It would have you know, gotten them back to two and two. Uh, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't in the it wasn't in the cards because they caught Tampa at a good time where they're still struggling on defense, no pass rush, uh, defensive backfield all banged up. Receivers had an awful night. They botched, they dropped a bunch of passes on Brady, and he was not sharp. So it was a perfect spot for them at home to steal a victory and get back to two and two and they couldn't pull it off. They're in big trouble. They're in big trouble. Now they may find, you know, another, you know, wins where we didn't think we'd get them. Miami struggled. We thought they'd be better, but their other teams are not nearly as good as we thought they were going to be. The Colts aren't very good. Uh, You know, the Steelers are awful, but Cincinnati's improving. Ravens are what they are. Browns are three and one. Your squad is more not sure. Yeah, as for the show, it's one nothing old report since the Ravens took advantage of a second half of Drew Locke football and beat the Denver Broncos. Well, so you're up one nothing. Let's remember, though, with all due respect to the new report, that it wasn't just Drew Locke. Uh, your starting quarterback had no luck except for you know one drive in the first half before he got knocked out of the game. That was the Raven defense that we haven't seen yet this year. That was the beat you up Raven defense, knock you around, five sacks, uh, turn them loose, and pressure on the quarterback all day. Uh, but it was also a little bit of a different Raven offense. It was Lamar Jackson throwing the ball. Well, first of all, not just throwing the ball down the field, but uh, Hollywood Brown actually catching it. But throwing the ball down the field to different receivers, not just Hollywood Brown, but the two kids out of Texas uh, that they drafted uh, last year, Duvernay uh, from Texas and Crochet, and Sammy Watkins, of course, in the mix, and Andrews in the mix. So the ball went down the field more than we've seen on a regular basis against the Broncos. It wasn't just uh, slants and outs and uh, broken plays turning into big plays with Lamar's feet. It was Lamar back to pass in the pocket, throwing the ball down the field. So kind of a step in the right direction. Very few rushing yards for him. Very few carries for him. So Ravens, after the stunning first game loss, now at 3-1. and one. Uh, thanks to the comeback win against the Chiefs and the miraculous 66-yard field goal against Detroit. Their best win of the season in terms of quality of play from opening kickoff to the final gun. There you have it, folks. Baseball season is over for the new report, old report. 
It was a sad couple days. Basketball, if you can believe it, is already here. But for you football fanatics, that's the main story moving forward. The Rams rebounded against the Seahawks on Thursday night football. Russell Wilson's finger, a little mangly. Geno Smith, a little short. Matt Stafford dressed like his Detroit Lions self for Halloween, even though Halloween is three weeks away. In the second half, he took his costume off at least. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Pleasure is always mine, folks. For my partner, the great John Tiny Hunt, enjoy the MLB playoffs. Let's crank it up. David in Maryland, thanks for the shout-out. The great John Birch, the Kansas Comet. Keep listening. Until next week, for the new report, this is Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains, the old report. And this is the best damn sports podcast anywhere. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>